1: You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app.
2: Or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. Joe Biden may head to Israel this week. Welcome to the fastest show in politics. As the president today cancels a trip to Colorado ahead of an expected ground invasion in Gaza. We're joined by retired Air Force General David Deptula who helped to write the book on drone strategy, spent thousands of hours flying over Afghanistan, and will be with us here in just a moment on the next steps for Israel. The U.S. House still has no speaker. They're going to try to change that in the next couple of days. We'll talk about Jim Jordan's full court press with our signature panel, Bloomberg Politics contributors Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano. They're with us for the hour. Welcome to the Monday edition of Bloomberg Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington, where we've got a lot to learn this week. Not only, of course, who will be the next speaker. We'll see if we learn that this week. Uh, but, of course, what's going to happen next in Israel with the headline now in the terminal. Biden weighs trip. Yes, to Israel. Considering a trip as part of a global push to prevent the war from spreading in the Middle East. He appeared on 60 Minutes last evening. Not knowing, at least we didn't know, that they would cancel a trip the president had planned today. Uh, to visit Pueblo, Colorado, staying here to manage issues at home, and could be on the jet within days from what we're reading in reports here on the terminal. President spoke, as I mentioned, on 60 Minutes last evening with Scott Pelley about the war in Israel.
3: Do you believe that Hamas must be eliminated entirely? Uh, yes, I do. But there needs to be a Palestinian authority. There needs to be a, a path to a Palestinian state.
2: A path to a Palestinian state. As we bring in the voice of Jordan Fabian, Bloomberg White House reporter, who's with us at the table to get things started today. Jordan, it's great to see you. Uh, You've been reporting on this, uh, obviously, since the terror attack happened. And now we're hearing reports that the president may actually get on Air Force One to go to Israel. You know, we talked about this, whether it was Florida, whether it was Hawaii, about how a presidential visit can be very disruptive. And I suspect that this would be a very difficult trip to plan. Do we think it'll happen?
4: Yeah, it seems to be uh, there seems to be planning going on for him to go. Uh, they haven't announced whether that's official yet. Sure. But then okay. pulling down that Colorado trip today would indicate there's some serious planning going on. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there's a lot of imperatives for Joe Biden to go, but it will be taxing, you know, both on the U.S. sides getting a trip of that magnitude together on such a short timeline and also the Israeli security services who obviously have a lot on their plate mm-hmm. given the nature of the conflict there. Uh, you know, I, I, in these visits, you know, the president isn't usually on the ground for a long time, but there's still a lot of security uh, that goes into it uh, to make sure the president is safe. I can't imagine the, the advanced planning uh, here and I suspect that it would be a relatively
2: brief trip. What's the purpose though? I mean, obviously, uh, we know for a fact that Joe Biden's been in touch on a daily basis with Benjamin Netanyahu the secretary has been in touch with uh, of defense, their
4: defense minister. Why does being in person matter? Well, first of all, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu invited uh, President Biden to visit Israel. And so uh, you know, Netanyahu obviously has his purposes. He wants yeah. the, the sort of seal of approval from the U.S. president for whatever he's going to do uh, with, with this campaign against Hamas and Gaza. But for the U.S. president, there's a couple of considerations at play here. Mm-hmm. One is a diplomatic mission to make sure that whatever uh, offensive Israel decides to launch, that they kind of stay within bounds, that they're limiting – uh, civilian casualties and also to send a signal to you know, Hamas, Hezbollah, Iran uh, yeah. to not get involved. You know, him showing up there would be a powerful symbol of that. But there's also you know, domestic politics at play. This is an opportunity for President Biden to get out there, to show okay. some leadership on the world stage as he ramps up his yeah. re-election bid. Well, that makes sense. They made an ad out of his trip to
2: Ukraine, right. uh, made him look like Tom Cruise at Mission Impossible. He had the aviators on and the whole bit. I suspect there's some campaigning inherently as part of this, but to put your name on what's about to happen is also part of this. Uh, Jordan, listen to the president from last evening on 60 Minutes when he was asked about protecting civilians and some of the carnage that could follow an invasion, a ground invasion of Gaza.
3: He I'm confident that Israel is going to act under the major the, the rules of war. There, there is a standards that democratic institutions and countries will go go by, and so uh, I'm. I'm confident that there's going to be an ability for the innocents in Gaza to be able to have access to medicine and food and water.
2: He talked about Israel's right to defend itself, but this is something he's going to have to deal with. The optics are not going to be great. Obviously, any ground invasion in Gaza is going to be extremely difficult, will come with heavy casualties, and he will have been there potentially moments earlier.
4: Yeah, listen, if he goes and then Israel the day after you know, launches a ground invasion and yeah. inflicts a large number of civilian casualties, that will be a problem for Joe Biden. Uh, but part of the reason he's going is, again, to maybe discourage them from doing that or, or at least put some guardrails on. Like he said, mm-hmm. you know, let's follow the rules of war. Let's make sure to limit civilian casualties. Let's target you know, Hamas military you know, political structure, but let's you know, leave the innocent people right. who are not a part of this. To let go, and and you know again, Israel is relying on on U.S. equipment here, and sure. so there's the the implied tension there that hey, if this goes off the rails, you know, yeah, maybe down the road, uh, you know, you're not getting as as much ammunition as you asked for.
2: Well, I think that's pretty smart. You know, you consider uh, the message that could be delivered—a message of restraint in person—that could play well for the president politically if it came. to to bear, but we'll have to find out, of course. Uh, Jordan Fabian, great reporting, and thank you as always. Bloomberg White House reporter, I'm sure, uh, as soon as Jordan knows about uh, any potential trip to Israel, uh, you'll see a headline on the terminal uh, within seconds here. As we bring in the voice of the general, I've been looking forward to this uh, as long as I have known that Lieutenant General David Deptula would be with us. U.S. Air Force retired, a man who was instrumental not only in the ground war over Afghanistan, but in positioning the Air Force Uh, to make use of drones to the extent that we're seeing now in Israel and also in Ukraine. General Deptula, welcome back to Bloomberg. It's great to see you, sir. Uh, This is going to be a very difficult mission for Israel, which is why we've seen repeated airstrikes in Gaza. In fact, the terminal now reporting here at Bloomberg uh, that there are as many as 1,200 people, Palestinians, uh, under rubble right now in Gaza. How much more of this will we see before ground troops roll in?
1: Well,
5: Joe, a couple of points right up front, and uh, I hate to get too complex too quick, but war's a complex endeavor. And when speaking about war in this particular conflict, one's gotta define the objectives that are being pursued at three different levels. That's strategic, operational, and tactical. Um, And tactics are what generally garner the most attention But in reality, you can only put tactics in context if you understand the higher order military objectives. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we can start with the fact that Israel's stated strategic objective is to eliminate Hamas's military capability. Um, Mm -hmm. And what I would tell you is that at the strategic level involves kind of five major elements as they relate to Hamas. Um, First is the leadership, then there are essential systems and processes. There's the Hamas infrastructure, their personnel, and then their weapon systems. So each one of those elements or centers of gravity, if you will, will be uh, decomposed into operational level target sets. And that's what the Israelis are in the process of doing if they haven't already done or have planned for many years. So there are a variety of examples of that command and control facilities, communications um, under essential systems and processes. There's electricity, money, food, and so on and so forth. So then these are broken down into specific targets. And Mm -hmm. here's where now we get into the tactical level detail. Um, And because of the extensive use of tunnels to hide and conduct operations, and their entrances and exits being inside buildings, ground operations are near certainty um, uh, that is gonna draw Israel into the ground, on the ground, to be able to find, locate, and destroy these facilities. So, you know, that's a a broad brush overview of what the Israeli military is facing right now.
2: Understood. To what extent then can Israel continue uh, to seek advantage from the air. Obviously, uh, Hamas does not have an air force. And it's not just fighter jets. I, I look to you as someone who, who brought forth the largest increase in drone operations in Air Force history. Uh, the job that we'll see over the next couple of days will be very important, I think, if I'm understanding you correctly, to, to what happens and what uh, what shape a ground invasion takes.
5: Right. And you raise an extraordinarily important point. And At this point in time, remotely piloted aircraft, unmanned aerial vehicles, drones, whatever you want to call them, have become Mm -hmm. an integral part of any operation. Um, at the operational level, the Israeli defense forces are truly taking an integrated approach of air, land, sea information and cyber elements of which uh, drones will provide, and uh, let me put it this way, they'll play an extraordinarily important role. I mean, one of their values is that they can provide 24-7 observation of what's going on, in addition to carrying weapons to be able to rapidly respond uh, to any aggressive use of force or movement by Hamas's uh, 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 forces. So they are completely integral to the operations and you heard earlier of some of the concerns with respect to weather. Well, quite frankly, that's because they want to have the ability to use drones to watch what's going on, observe movements, help in targeting, as well as the application of force themselves.
2: Mm-hmm. You were director of the Combined Air Operations Center for Operation Enduring Freedom uh, over Afghanistan. And our listeners should know you were also a principal attack planner for Operation Desert Storm's air campaign. Uh, and with someone who has over 400 air combat hours, what can you tell us about the challenges that Israel is facing now, fighting an army, if you will, uh, with no uniforms? It's, of course, not an organized army. Interspersed with civilians in this densely populated area, you've actually experienced conditions like this, General?
5: Yeah, um, you, the Desert Storm a conflict against Iraq um, was much more expansive. In other words, we're dealing with the breadth and depth of an entire country in, um, yes, as right. was the intensity. Um, we're flying 3,000 sorties a day, um, over 1,250 actual attack sorties a day, um, which is a lot of application of force. But one of the challenges that the israelis are facing is because this is such a, def- a dense um, urban environment and that's one of the reasons that um, th- they need to conduct an integrated campaign capitalizing on what the air element brings to inform the ground forces and naval forces uh, uh, to achieve the objectives that i outlined um, the other point i'd like to bring up um here uh joe uh, that i don't see very much attention paid to and that's that it's very important to understand that hamas's use of civilians is human shields and misuse of protected sites like mosques and hospitals are war crimes in and of themselves now at the same time it's important to note that even if hamas uses human shields which they are israel is still bound by the principles of proportionality and have to take all feasible precautions to minimize harm to civilians they have a, a very strong history of doing that but it doesn't mean that they cannot strike targets because of the presence of human shields according to the geneva conventions attack is allowed if the potential damage to civilians is not excessive in relation to the direct military advantage that's anticipated. So I don't want to get too into legalese, but the presence of human shields do not prevent an attack. Um, Understood. Uh, even if they're conducting that attack uh, uh, might have considerable media impact.
2: Well, that's awfully important uh, for our listeners and our viewers to know, General, uh, you flew the F-15. As I mentioned, you have hundreds of combat hours. That's a jet that the Israelis fly, among others, uh, made here in the U.S. We only have a minute left, General. I just wonder if it's your view that this mission can be accomplished without completely leveling Gaza.
5: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it's an extraordinarily challenging um, endeavor that the Israelis are embarking upon, but it's one that one needs to understand Um, Israel has fought limited wars with Hamas in the past, and those simply have not succeeded. So now they're faced with either overthrowing Hamas or rendering it uh, completely ineffective. Uh, And that is gonna be very, very challenging, Uh, but the Israeli Defense Forces are extraordinarily competent um, and they'll do everything they can to protect protect civilians, but at the same time, I think they're putting together an integrated operation it will be very effective in eliminating Hamas and that's what they simply need to Mm. do because Hamas's actions have shown that they are pure evil and must be eliminated.
2: Well there you have it from someone with first-hand experience retired general David Deptula it's great to see you sir now the dean of the Mitchell Institute for Aerospace Studies and again former Air Force Deputy Chief for Intelligence Surveillance and Reconnaissance along with former fighter pilot this is Bloomberg.
1: You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch the program live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg Radio, the TuneIn app, Bloomberg.com, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station.
2: Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Joe Biden could be on Air Force One on a trip to Israel in just a matter of days. That's the reporting now. As the National Security Council at the White House says they have no trip to announce, our reporting says that could take place in the next couple of days. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. We thank you for joining us on Bloomberg Sound On as we assemble our panel. Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano with us on the Monday edition here as Anthony Blinken uh, turns up in Israel again, an unscheduled return. He spoke earlier this morning. You no,
3: know our deep commitment to Israel's right indeed its obligation to defend itself
4: and to defend its people and in that you have
3: you always have the support of the United States.
2: This again following the interview last evening Joe Biden on 60 Minutes making the case for American defense and support of Israel though he also made news By talking about a potential occupation, he was asked about this by Scott Pelley, an Israeli occupation of Gaza.
3: I think it'd be a big mistake. Look, what happened in Gaza, in my view, is Hamas and the extreme elements of Hamas don't represent all the Palestinian people. And uh, I think that uh, it would be a mistake uh, for Israel to occupy Gaza again.
2: Rick and Jeannie join us now with great uncertainty in Washington on this Monday. Rick, it's good to have you back. I'm curious your thoughts here, having heard just now from General Deptula and knowing that the president could be in country in Israel uh, within just a couple of days. Is that the right move for him to make now?
6: Yeah, I'm I'm afraid the president doesn't have a lot of great choices. Uh, and that's one of the reasons I think you see uh, Secretary Blinken playing shuttle diplomacy, running back and forth, uh, is because time is really the one thing that is uh, the most, uh, I would say, hardest resource to grab. Uh, there's no question that the Israelis are going to go into Gaza and and what form that comes in, as uh, General Deptula talked about, uh, is is just a way for them to accomplish their goals short term and midterm, maybe not long term. And and so that's going to happen. And the president may be there. He may not be there at the time it does. But it's utter disregard for the president's schedule. They're going to do that on on a military clock that gives them the best advantage they can to limit uh, casualties, both on the side of the Israeli military and also on the side of civilians in Gaza. So uh, that's that's a clock that's just, you know, totally separate than the president's. And then you also have Iran and Egypt uh, two really important players—one negative, one positive—that uh, the president is is talking to as much as Israel, uh, and and he's giving a warning to uh, the Iranians uh, by going there that if they want to broaden this conflict, they're going to have to deal with the United States. And trying to give uh, some kind of a bridge to the Egyptians, who play an incredibly important role in getting aid into Gaza uh, to uh, offset some of the humanitarian problems. So this is this is a really high priority and. And, and it's only the president of the United States who can actually effectuate change that's positive in this regard.
2: Well, that's pretty remarkable. The optics would be amazing, uh, Jeannie, depending on where you stand on this whole issue, though, could also be challenging for Joe Biden going into uh, a reelection cycle. His message, do not occupy Gaza, uh, was heard loudly last evening on 60 Minutes. Why does he have to show up in person?
7: You know, he doesn't have to but I think he is going to try provided that they can maintain his security and as of course, the timing of when they go in with boots on the ground into Gaza. um, You know, it, it is a difficult security challenge number one, but I do think if he's able to securely go over there, he will and should. That said I was struck by his tone on 60 Minutes last night. The president has given full-throated support to Israel. He maintains that. And by the same token, we heard him walking this very, very fine line last night and saying Mm -hmm. things like, everybody knows that all Palestinians don't support Hamas extremism. And, you know, the reality is, we don't know if Israel knows that. We don't know where he is getting that kind of data. There's not public opinion polling, for instance, going on, nor should there be. So he is reflecting what we are hearing increasingly. We saw the New York Times op-ed saying Israel can defend itself and uphold its values. We saw former Obama administration officials come out. And I was struck by an ADL official just yesterday saying that he's concerned that As Israel moves forward, world opinion will turn against it. And that's a concern not only for Israel but for Joe Biden and the United States as well. So I think the president is very clearly making the case that while he has full-throated support for Israel, he's deeply concerned about the civilians, and Israel should be very careful not to get in a quagmire in the West Bank or in, sorry, in Gaza, like they were Mm -hmm. prior to 2005. So it is a very difficult argument for him to make at a very challenging time as he's facing a reelection bid.
2: Gaza's health ministry, Rick, says at least 1,200 Palestinians have been trapped under rubble uh, from Ukrainian, uh, from Ukrainian, forgive me, from Israeli airstrikes into Gaza. Those are the types of headlines that could challenge the president on a trip like this, no?
6: No question. This is uh, going to be a very difficult PR environment. Um, as Jeannie says, the president has got this dual track where not only does he have to be commander in chief and president of the United States, but he's got to run for election. And so this is not without its risk politically. Um, That being said, uh, he has some repair work to be done on commander in chief. Uh, There's no question he took a hit uh, when the uh, U.S. withdrew from Afghanistan and his leadership was questioned uh, because of the chaos. So if this can uh, somehow help repair that image uh it's probably a a gamble worth taking that being said as you point out joe uh there are a lot of casualties with civilians in gaza that's only going to mount and as jeannie said that could put additional pressure on the israelis but all of this is predicated on israeli getting the necessary accomplishments of their tasks their priorities in gaza and i thought general deptula did an excellent job of articulating what their military objectives would be
2: this is becoming an issue on the Republican campaign trail, uh, as you might well expect. Mike Pence, we stand with Israel, making the point. Ron DeSantis, no moral equivalents. Nikki Haley, uh, as well, speaking over the weekend. Here she is.
7: Whether it was burned bodies, whether it was women that was raped, whether it were people being dragged
0: down the streets of Gaza. I know you saw it, but did you hear it? Did you hear what they were saying when they were dragging those bodies down the street? Because they were saying death to Israel, death to America. That's what they do. That's how they think. That is why Israel needs to eliminate Hamas once and for all.
2: It's pretty heavy stuff here in Jeannie. We've gotten to the point where the president, Joe Biden, sounds exactly like the Republican candidates for president. Do you agree?
7: I do, with one glaring exception, which is the leader, as the money in the poll showed, Donald Trump. I mean, he is out posting things which make you really have to take a step back and say, is he equipped to lead, I don't know, a city council at this point? He's talking about support for Israel after attacking Bibi Netanyahu in the hours after this atrocity and after claiming Hezbollah is smart. He's talking about supporting Israel and tying it to the stolen 2020 election. That is what he's talking about. So I I'll totally agree with you, Joe, except as it pertains to the far and ahead leader on that side, which is still Donald Trump and nothing crazy that he has said, and it has gotten to crazy, gotten there, it's been there a while, but it is clear in the wake of this that mm-hmm. nothing that he says has dampened his support in the polls, and that's gotta be a concern for any sinking, caring Republican, somebody who looks at what's happened at these atrocities and yeah. scratches their head and says, is this man really talking about the stolen election from 2020?
2: We've only got a minute here, Rick. Are you surprised we're not hearing more criticism from all of the Republican candidates about Donald Trump as genius referring? Remember last week, BB let us down. He said Hamas is smart.
6: Yeah, look, I think these Republicans are criticizing Trump on the stump. I don't think the press is really reporting it because they have such an affection for uh, the crazy stuff, as Jeannie says and Donald Trump says. That's going to make news when the more sane and sober comments being made by Republican presidential candidates other than Trump uh, really go unattended to. Uh, I I think everybody endorses what um, what uh, Nikki Haley said and uh, the quotes that you played. Uh, except for Donald Trump. Uh, That being said, I don't think anything Donald Trump says has any bearing on the outcome of the crisis today in the Middle East, other than the fear uh, that many people have in the Republican Party and in the Democratic Party, that if he becomes the nominee of the party and potentially president, all that could change overnight.
2: Well, I'll refer back to what Ron DeSantis said last week, Following the comments from Donald Trump, quote, It is absurd that anyone, much less someone running for president, would choose now to attack our friend and ally Israel, much less praise Hezbollah terrorists as very smart. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch us
1: live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app.
2: Or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. High Noon Tuesday. That's when Jim Jordan will force a vote. The reporting coming out of CNN right now, the Republican nominee for House Speaker, the chair of the Judiciary Committee, Jim Jordan's going to force this thing high noon tomorrow, like something out of a Western. Even though he apparently does not have the votes, or does he, or will he? Great reporting today from Stephen Dennis, Laura Litfin, Eric Wasson, our Congress team on the terminal. GOP's Jordan picks up critical support for House Speakership It's really anyone's guess where he is in the whip count right now, though, which is something we'll talk to Mick Mulvaney about next hour. Let's reassemble the panel, though. Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano join Bloomberg Politics contributors as we consider what's about to happen here. Looks like he got Mike Rogers. That's what Jody says. Rick, is Jim Jordan the next speaker of the House?
6: You know, I think it's a hard slog for him. You know, he started out this process losing 81 votes to Austin Scott. Who's Austin Scott, right? I mean, you know, and and he's been trying to peel it back since then. And and some through cajoling and and deal making, but also some through threats and a little bit of extortion from Fox News host Sean Hannity. This has been Uh. a very divisive race. And so I I don't think he's there. Everything I've heard is he's still 20, 30 votes short, maybe 40. That is a long way from being speaker.
2: What do you make of Sean Hannity, I believe it was one of his producers, sending letters uh, to those who are on the fence, Jeannie, to find out why they uh, may not support Jim Jordan? It's a pretty interesting tactic from a Fox News host.
7: It absolutely is. And, you know, this is the reality is that we've always said, we said it last week, the faster Jim Jordan gets this on the floor, what they want to do is try to really arm twist folks into making a public vote with the threat that their constituents will be so upset if they don't go in the direction of somebody who's supported by Donald Trump and by social conservatives and by Fox News hosts that they will then primary them. And that is what we're really hearing. It's obviously a stick that they can use. And, you know, so we'll see if that is successful. Another big get looks to be Ann Wagner. She was firmly opposed. Now some reporting says she is in Jim Jordan's camp now. So that is a big get for him as well. We keep hearing, to Rick's point, you know, between maybe a dozen to 20, maybe more or less, are still strongly opposed, but it was 55 on Friday when they left for the weekend. So he's got a long way to go. And you know, I think the question we all have to ask ourselves is, is this a party at this point that really, really wants to govern or are they more comfortable in the minority being the opposition? Because we are on day what? 1213 of this thing. and this still has no end in sight. They're going to go to the floor noon tomorrow. Who knows what will happen there? We're hearing his opponents, Jordan's opponents, may put somebody up, but they're not even giving a name. So who knows who that would be? Mm. It's embarrassing, Mm -hmm. and it's looking to be like a caucus that does not want to govern and doesn't really enjoy being in the majority.
2: I'm really taken by (laughs) this letter or this email uh, from Sean Hannity's uh, producer here. Rick, you mentioned it, Axios. Axios got their hands on this. Stephanie from Hannity's show, Fox News, it says, sources tell Hannity Representative fill-in-the-blank is not supporting Jim Jordan for speaker. Can you please let me know if this is accurate? It then goes on to say, if true, Hannity would like to know why during a war breaking out between Israel and Hamas with the war in Ukraine, with wide open borders, with a budget unfinished, why would Rep fill-in-the-blank be against rep Jim Jordan for speaker. I'm not even halfway through this thing, and there's a deadline to reply on it. I think, my gosh, I've been clearly underusing Matt Shirley and the other bookers and producers here, Rick. Is this a new tactic that we should get used to? Yeah, Joe, you should be lobbying for the next Speaker of the
6: House. You should pick a couple Thank of you. bills you like and start warning these guys that there'll be a wrath from the Bloomberg radio show sound on if they don't pull their weight. Uh, yeah, no, look, this is like intrusion into the public domain. I think that the, they need to be uh, registered as lobbyists if they're going to be uh, lobbying the House of Representatives. Uh, and by the way, I think it actually backfired. Everybody I heard from this weekend uh, who'd gotten or seen that letter we're very upset that he is getting himself in the middle of this race. So, um, you know, be careful what you ask for. You may just get it. And that's, that's, I'm sure Jordan is scratching his head going, who called Hannity? Why is he doing this?
2: Yeah. Wow. I don't know. By the way, uh, our booker, Matt Shirley, Jeannie says uh, he's too busy. So I guess that's not going to start anytime (laughs) soon, but so what do you make of forcing the vote at noon tomorrow? Is, is that not, A fool's errand after 15 rounds with Kevin McCarthy?
7: Yeah, Matt is much busier than those bookers at Fox, for sure. And, you know, I, I, I don't actually think it's a fool's errand. If you are Jim Jordan, this is your path to the, nom- to the speakership. You don't have another path. You have to get this public. You have to make people take a vote. And you have to threaten that if they don't vote for you, they're going to be primaried. You know, what we are seeing is a wholesale change in the way we do American politics. I mean, it's not that long long ago that this was, you know, something where party leadership would really have the power. Now that power is being outsourced to people who can get their name in the media, social and traditional vis-a-vis people like bookers and producers on shows that their constituents watch. That's a change. And to Rick's point, maybe these folks need to now have to register as lobbyists for the U.S. Congress if this is where we're headed.
2: (laughs) Wow, actually well (laughs) that might actually work for a couple producers uh, here's Bill Heizingga the Republican spoke with us on Friday right when they learned they were all going home for the week Jim Jordan has some work he's got to do
8: uh, he's got to get in front of those people who are objecting about it uh, personally I had uh, I had put in an amendment to our uh, to our conference rules that would have
2: required us to reach 217 before we go to the floor And that's the weird part here, Rick. What do you make of this going to the floor without actually knowing what's going to happen? Is that a strategy at noon tomorrow?
6: Well, I've got whiplash. I don't know about you, Joe, but like. You know, Jim Jordan's like starts out saying, oh, no, I'm not going to run for speaker. Oh, well, I'll consider it It depends on what the caucus wants. And then it's like, I'll run for speaker, but only if the caucus gives you 217 before we get out. And then that changed again to put me on the floor tomorrow and force everybody to vote one way or another. I mean, I'm sorry. I'm exhausted. My back hurts. My neck is twisted. I mean, Jim Jordan has had more positions in the last five days. Then then, well, I won't even say who has a lot of positions. So uh, bottom line, uh, this is the act of a man who uh, doesn't have the votes. He's going to try and pressure the floor. uh, And I think that's everybody's strategy. Uh, Let him hang out there. He's got to lose on the floor in order to clear the way for another candidate. And I think there are plenty of members who uh, could garner that kind of support.
2: Wow. Not a very hopeful Rick Davis
1: You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch the program live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg Radio, the TuneIn app, Bloomberg.com, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130.
2: Congressman Jim Jordan spent the weekend twisting arms, but he does not have the votes to be speaker yet. As lawmakers return to Washington today with a vote on the speaker expected at high noon tomorrow. We'll get the latest from Capitol Hill and Kaylee Lines ahead. We'll discuss with Mick Mulvaney, the co-founder of the Freedom Caucus, former acting chief of staff in the Trump White House, back for his weekly conversation. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington, joined now by Kaylee Lines. It's good to see you. I hold the letter in my hands. Dear colleague colleague letter. (laughs) Not a dear John, a dear colleague. Mm -hmm. Jim Jordan's stationery. It's very lengthy, you know. I feel like this could be a pretty tight pitch considering everything that we've heard. Five paragraphs? Yeah. Yeah. First of the principles that unite us as Republicans, the role of speaker, bringing all Republicans together. No measure of what we can achieve for the American people. This is the same Jim Jordan who told us that he did not want to run for speaker, right?
9: Yes, that would be correct. That
2: was two weeks ago about?
9: And what a difference two weeks Can makes. you
2: imagine that was two weeks ago? Now he's essentially forcing a vote. This is yep. kind of a big uh, development here. He told CNN he's forcing a vote at high noon tomorrow. So we're going to find out pretty quick how many votes he's got.
9: Yeah, and it seems like he has more at least secured than he had on Friday when more than 50 Republicans okay. voted by That's secret right. ballot. That's mm-hmm. right. And said they would not support him for speaker. And yet he's picked up some pretty key individuals just in the last 24 hours. Mm-hmm. Mike Rogers, Ann Wagner, Ken one. Calvert. Mm-hmm. All of these names seem like they may be building some momentum for him. But really, it is going to come down to the math here. Mm-hmm. Is it enough to get the gavel?
2: Well, we spoke with Bill Huizenga on Friday. This is right after they had all learned they were going home yep. for the weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, he didn't an, have a flight book yet. He did not love. But remember this idea of having this figured out before you go to the floor, right? Um, uh, a cloture vote, if you will, mm-hmm. a nominating vote that would mirror the number of votes needed to actually do this on the floor. That never happened. Heisinger thinks it should have.
8: Jim Jordan has some work he's got to do. Uh, he's got to get in front of those people who are objecting about it. Uh, Personally, I had uh, I had put in an amendment to our uh, to our conference rules that would have required us to reach 217 before we go to the floor. That is sort of maybe the spirit of this in many ways. Um, that uh, that isn't a formal rule, but guess what? We're not going to have any help from the Democrats. And not a, not that we were necessarily expecting any, uh, but we have got mm-hmm. to come to together as the Republicans to find 217
2: votes. Ah, 217. Magic we number. kept hearing all last week that no one can get to 217. Yes. That may still be the case, by the way.
9: And we will find out more come tomorrow afternoon, Joe.
2: You think Mick Mulvaney would go to the floor if he were nominated speaker without knowing he had the votes?
9: I don't know. Should we ask Mick?
2: Because I could see both sides here. I think Mick kind of lives on the edge a little bit. I think that he could actually be the one to go for it. But I also feel like He might be smarter than that and want something to count on. Uh, Mick, why not make that adjustment, that rule change, so you know that when C-SPAN turns the lights on, this is going to look good for Republicans?
8: I'm trying to figure out the comment about how I'm too smart to do it, so that means if I go to the floor, I'd be doing something stupid, so maybe I I should not say I would do that. Um, I I think the dynamic is a bunch of different Is it a strategy, though, Mick? Yeah, the strategy it is a strategy and it's not a bad strategy. It's a it's a real gutsy kind of strategy. Essentially what it says is, look, if, if I'm nominated and I have no interest in the job, so I'm just using this to make a statement. if you're nominated
3: uh-huh. and he you said don't it, have the
8: votes you don't have the votes in private, but you think that some people might not have the guts to vote against you on the floor, then yeah, mm. you go to the floor. And if you got Donald Trump on your side and threatening to primary those folks, maybe that pushes you to go to the floor a little bit. Look, I asked an interesting question today of a friend of mine on the Hill. I said, look, when I know that Matt Gates is crazy enough and stubborn enough and just bizarre enough to sit on the floor for 15 votes and be the vote against Kevin McCarthy, because I saw him do it in January. Is Don Bacon the same kind of person? Does Don Bacon have that same sort of different, strange gear to where he would be willing to sit on the floor for 15 votes and vote against Jim Jordan. I don't think that he is. He's a lot nicer and a lot more reasonable, probably a lot brighter than Matt Gates. But I don't think he's got that kind of, that bizarre uh, approach to, you know, burn the place down or else. Don is a reasonable guy. And Jim may be counting on those folks who are reasonable to say, I won't vote for you in private, but taking them, you know, sort of calling them out and seeing if they got the votes, uh, the guts to vote against him on the floor. If there's If there's a strategy, that's the strategy.
9: Okay, so that's the strategy. It's just is whether or not it's one that's going to work, Mick. Do you think Jim Jordan can pull this off ultimately?
8: Uh, I would have said no uh, three or four hours ago. Then he picked up Mike Rogers uh, and Ken Calvert, who's not a name that's very widely known outside of Washington, but a very influential member of sort of the, the, the spending wing of the party. You've got these two groups, right? You've got the, the military folks, Mike Rogers and Ann Wagner, and you got the folks who like to spend a lot of money, like Ken Calvert. Um, and, and, and to a lesser extent, Ed Wagner and, and Mike, and Mike Rogers, um, I didn't think he'd get him. And, um, when he, when it was announced they were supporting him, that that changed the analysis in in, in, in sort of in my internal math, that if he can get those folks, he might be able to get the votes. Here's my, the first question I asked myself, what did he have to give to Ken Calvert and Mike Rogers to get their support? And is that the type of giveaway that then turns off some of the folks on the far right uh, for whom Jim is not nearly conservative enough? I'm going back to the, the Matt Gates anarchist wing of the party. So um, I I, honestly, no one knows. And it's just different than it was three or four hours ago. Three or four hours ago, I said he does not have the votes, not going to get the votes. It looks like he might've made some progress here and might be moving in the direction of getting 217.
2: You know, Jim Jordan uh, better than just about anyone I would say, Mick, you founded the Freedom Caucus with him. You certainly know him as a lawmaker. You know him as an individual. There have been some tough questions about his past. Over the past couple of days, they were all aired out on Sunday morning television. He's accused of covering up sexual assault allegations when he was uh, a wrestling coach. Liz Cheney says he was the closest thing to January 6th, Uh, the conspiracy on January 6th that you could get in a lawmaker on Capitol Hill. And should not be trusted with this job. How do you react to those?
8: Uh, a couple. There's a couple different questions at Liz Cheney. No one. No one cares what Liz Cheney says. I hate to be that blunt about it, but no one listens to her. She was a three or four term member of the House, and she's out now. So, um, I, I, if her last name wasn't Cheney, nobody would be talking about her. Um, on the other issues, you know, I know Jim fairly well, and nothing that I ever heard of the allegations related to the things that happened at that school 20, 30 years ago, have anything to do, in my mind, with the Jim Jordan that I know. And I also know this, is that politicians of both parties know that it's really easy to make allegations against sitting sitting members of Congress. And we usually don't pay attention to those sorts of allegations because people make them all the time until they rise Mm. to the level of criminal investigations, ethics charges, that kind of stuff. And I don't think that ever happened with Jim. So all I know is I know him. Um, I, I remember this topic coming up. I don't know, five years ago and immediately dismissing it in my own Mm -hmm. mind. And I think it went away fairly quickly. So I I don't I'm not concerned there's anything there. And if Jim Jordan wasn't being considered for speaker, my guess is nobody else would care about it either.
9: Okay, so that's on that subject. But Mick, returning to the subject of January 6th, this isn't something that only Liz Cheney talks about. You yourself have been very outspoken against your former boss, former President Donald Trump, because of the events on January 6th. And if Jim Jordan was close to that, if he was one of those denying the results of the 2020 election and trying to stop that pro- process, why would you feel any differently about him?
8: Well, it's, 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 I don't feel differently about him. When you go back to, you're right about the January 6th thing, right? And if that's what Jim's leadership becomes, if if Jim is down there trying to pitch people on elect me speaker and I'm really gonna dig into the 2020 election, my guess is that's a fool's errand and he doesn't have a chance. If he's down there now telling people, look, I wanna go forward, we have to pass a spending bill, I would it will be conservative, we have to pass support for Israel, it will be, it will, it will be very generous. Um, I do wanna continue the investigations in the Biden family. If that's the message that he's selling, I can see him getting someplace. Um, if he's down there selling, well, I think we need to revisit 2020, he doesn't have a chance. So I don't sure if that answers your question or not, but I, 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 the reason I mentioned Liz Cheney is again that she's not, she is not voting. She doesn't really know a lot of the folks within the conservative wing of the party, so it's very strange that uh, that her name keeps popping. I saw her name pop up on Drudge Report, and my immediate reaction was why? But maybe the people say the yeah. same thing about me.
2: Well, she helped to co-chair the the, the committee investigating January sixth, so obviously mm-hmm. she knows a little bit about this. Mick, she tweeted that Jim Jordan urged that Mike Pence refuse to count lawful electoral votes. If ours nominate Jordan to be Speaker, they will be abandoning the Constitution. They will lose the House majority, and they will deserve to. Let's take the name off the um, message. Do you disagree with what she wrote?
8: Um, it's hard for me to take the name off the message, but um, I always get interested when people who lose elections, whether they be Republicans or Democrats, tell Republicans how to win elections. So, But I, I, I struggle with that. Look, um, I don't think that Jim Jordan's activities, again, I, I, let's be clear. I I quit over January 6th. I am not defending January 6th, but in any, any way, shape, or form. In fact, the opposite. I'll continue yeah. to condemn it anytime, anytime anybody wants me to. But I don't think that's what this race is about. I, I really don't. I think this race is about the next three or four months or eight, actually six or eight weeks. How do you get through a funding uh, issue uh, for the government between now and the middle of November? How do you deal with supporting Israel? What do you do about Ukraine? Those are the three big issues that Congress has to deal with. Personally, and you guys haven't asked this question, but I'll answer it anyway. I can't believe Jim wants the job because I don't know how you Mm. pass a funding bill that isn't bipartisan. And if a bipartisan funding bill Mm. costs uh, costs Kevin McCarthy his job, I don't know how it costs whoever the next speaker is uh, his or her job. So again, if people want to look back at January 6th, And if Liz Cheney wants to do that, that's great. I'm trying to figure out what happens in the next 45 days.
9: Well, and also in the next 45 days, Mick, theoretically, the impeachment inquiry, which Jim Jordan was helping lead, will continue. And I wonder what a Speaker Jordan potentially would mean for those individuals in districts that Biden won in 2020, those vulnerable Republicans. Do you realistically think they can go to the floor and allow him to get the gavel? What would it mean for them?
8: I think, first of all, I don't think he can be in charge of the investigation if he is the speaker. So they got to have somebody else to back to back up. Uh, the same is true, by the way. If and I still think there's a likely chance that, that Patrick McHenry's role as the interim speaker is somehow extended for a period of time. And if that happens, he might not be able to function as the House Financial uh, Services uh, Committee Chairman as well. So if Jim becomes the speaker, they have to find somebody else to investigate. What what happens from there, Kaylee? I think depends on what the evidence is. If they find, keep in mind, the Democrats had an, an impeachment inquiry on Donald Trump for weeks before they started the actual impeachment. They didn't have the evidence until Trump gave them the transcript of the phone conversation with Zelensky. But for that, they probably don't have have the ability to impeach him on the floor. I think the same is true of the Republicans. They're going through the inquiry now. If they find evidence that justifies an impeachment, then they go that route. But if they don't find anything, Mm. I don't think they can move forward. So I think the only thing that changes there is who's running the investigation. If Jim Jordan is speaker, I don't think he can run the investigation.
2: I have to go back to our conversation with Jim Jordan on the 2nd of October. Kaylee already referred to it, Mick. We were, you know, exactly where we were in the balcony off the cannon rotunda. It was the day the government was supposed to be closed and this all came up again with who wants to be speaker? Here he is.
6: But I do not support that. I think uh, I think Kevin McCarthy's done a good job. I mean, we told the American people that we would, you know, pass legislation to get rid of the eighty-seven thousand IRS agents. We told the American people we'd pass the Parental bill of rights. We did that. We told the American people we would pass legislation to deal with the energy problem. We told the American people we would pass the toughest border security, uh, security, immigration mm-hmm. enforcement legislation in history, and we did that.
2: He said he wanted kevin to be speaker when i asked him directly again he said no i do not want to be speaker mick do you believe that your your old colleague from the freedom caucus jim jordan actually wants this job
8: no i think he wants kevin mccarthy to be the job and go back to doing the the, to leading the investigations i think he's here he's where he is now because what else who else is there i mean when you get down to the next level you talk about people who might have only been in congress a couple of years you don't know about their mm-hmm. conservative so he would be a reluctant
2: speaker um, in your view
8: I, I think so and i gotta think I, joe i i gotta think that he's got to deal with the far far right wing, with those anarchists and again they're not they're not conservative they're populist anarchists that's the matt gates crowd so let's call them the the anarchist wing because they're not the freedom caucus folks he's got to have a deal with them who says look if i cut a bipartisan deal to, to open the government are you going are you going to try and get rid of me and at least he's got to have a handshake that they won't do that because again otherwise yeah. what's the one lesson from Kevin McCarthy's experience if you bring a bipartisan bill to the floor of the house you are at risk of losing your speakership that's a really easy message to sort of d- deliver and to wow. to comprehend so unless jim has has got a uh, a deal with those folks that I don't know about that we don't know about um then he right. might be in the same con- the same position Kevin is a couple of weeks from now
2: Nick Mulvaney, always great to spend time with. Did you say whether you think he's actually going to get this vote tomorrow? Did we hear? Up it changed or down?
9: in the last three to four hours, Joe. Okay,
2: so you think there he's going to get this at noon tomorrow, Mick? I think his
8: chances went from two and ten to six and ten.
2: All right, there it is. Mick Mulvaney, this is Bloomberg. Thanks for listening to the Sound On Podcast. Make sure to subscribe if you haven't already at Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. And you can find us live every weekday from Washington, D.C. at 1 p.m. Eastern Time at Bloomberg.com.
0: The countdown has begun. This May, 1,000 global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor q